Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. First Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll be picking it up at verse 25. As you're turning there, let me just begin by saying falling in love and growing in love are Thankfully, I'm sure we all would say and agree, a wonderful experiences of the human life. Would you say, yeah? Yes. Yeah. It is normal for a man and a woman to desire to spend their lives together. However, we're going to find in this passage, as Paul's been kind of saying all along, that there are times for some people that they shouldn't get married because of a possible better alternative. You know, as far as God is concerned, that is, that there may just be something better that he has in, with regards to his will and his plan. This passage that we're in this, this, uh, this morning discusses the question of Christian singles and probably even widows, should they marry? The Corinthian church had, as we have said, written a letter to Paul. They had several questions in it. And in this last part of chapter 7, he's dealing with yet another issue and another question. He had already addressed a brief word to this group referring to the unmarried back in verses 8 and 9. And we find him here in this closing section giving it more detail, talking about it in a little bit more detail. And the question, as we're going to see, is obviously must or should a Christian even get married? It is likely that Paul is addressing this section as much to the parents of marriageable sons and daughters as he is the sons and daughters themselves. Since marriages in Paul's day, unlike it is for us today, were prearranged by the parents, okay? And so in his response, Paul, in, you know, Dealing with their question, he asked those who were asking the question to consider several factors, several concerns when they were making their decisions about marriage or not. And so we pick it up at verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. So this first concern that we deal with here is consider the present distress of the world when making your decisions. The term Paul uses here in verse 25 for virgins is the Greek, in the Greek is a word that more than likely in this context refers to not just a woman, but to both a man and a woman who were engaged but not yet married, who had not yet become sexually involved. The wording in the passage, I believe, makes this clear as we see him going back and forth, referring to a man and referring to a woman. And apparently, there was controversy going on in, in the Corinthian church over whether engaged couples should even go ahead and get married. Now, remember, the, the background here is there is a present crisis going on. And Paul admitted, as he says to us, that Jesus had not taught on this matter. No command from the Lord, he says. 
Quite possibly, Paul meant that the Corinthian believers, because of the present crisis there, presented a somewhat of a unique problem, which neither Jesus or not even the Old Testament had addressed. And though Paul's advice concerning singles is not drawn directly from Jesus' teaching or Old Testament teaching, it was just as authoritative, bathed in prayer. You know that he has spent time being led by the Holy Spirit in his writing, not just shooting from the hip or just giving his opinion. This is God's word. As the Apostle Paul, he is speaking on behalf of the Lord. As he says, by the Lord's mercy, and it was trustworthy. So in effect, Paul said that the rule of remaining as you are, which he had been saying, he had stated and even illustrated, should also be applied to those contemplating marriage. Remaining unmarried, Paul is saying here at this point, because of circumstances, would be a good thing. Paul is not contradicting whatsoever what God has said back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. He made it clear that his preference stemmed from the unique circumstances which the Corinthian church was facing. He said that the unmarried should remain unmarried due to the present crisis. Now, it is difficult for us today to know just exactly for sure what that crisis was. However, because of the context of the passage and available historical information pertaining to the time that this letter was being written, it is believed two main things are in view when Paul makes this statement. Historically, there was actually a famine occurring in Greece during this time. Spiritually, it is believed by the scholars that Paul is also probably thinking and seeing just around the corner upcoming persecution for the followers of Jesus Christ. These two things, no doubt, are what prompted Paul to write what we're going to get to in a moment. In verse 29, he says, the time is short, referring to the nearness of Christ's imminent return. In other words, in, at any moment, Paul believed that. In fact, about 10 years after Paul wrote this letter, the Roman madman emperor by the name of Nero, remember him? We've talked about him before, especially when we went through Romans, had falsely blamed and accused the Christians in Rome for setting Rome on fire. It is believed that actually he's the one that did it. He was out of his mind. But he turns around and used that to blame the Christians, to bring persecution to them. As a result, history lets us know he slaughtered believers of all ages. One rampage followed another. The persecution blowing way beyond the city limits of Rome into the rest of the empire, which then would have included the city of Corinth in Greece. Paul knew that those with spouses and children would find themselves struggling to keep the faith, possibly even coming near and being tempted to compromise their testimonies in order to protect their families. Paul gets that. He understands that. And so that's why he says what he says. For us today, the loss of a job, 
the death of a mate or a child, the rebellion of teenagers, financial stress, or other daily trials and hardships associated with family life can be reasons for our faith being weakened, our focus becoming skewed, and the temptation of compromise ever so strong. Because believers still face the brunt of the world's hostility toward Christ, Paul's advice, I think, is still good advice, advice for us today. It still applies to the people, to God's people today. Watching a mate or a child suffer can often bring some unbearable despair. Amen? Before we move on, we want to note that Paul nowhere ever suggested that a single person has to stay single for their entire lives, that they should never marry. Paul never ever says that, okay? Or that this judgment that he is making here was set in concrete and that it could never ever be changed. In fact, in verse 36, as we will see, he qualified his advice by suggesting that it might be better for some to get married, keeping them from immoral situations. Reading on, look at verse 27. It says, are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many trials in this life. And I want to spare you of this. And we catch Paul's heart here, don't we? And I want to spare you. He says, if, if you are married or if you are betrothed, remember in Century one, it's marriages prearranged, betrothed, kind of, for lack of better terminology, under a contract towards marriage. He says, then remain. While those who are not, or if somehow it's canceled and released, they should strongly consider staying that way, remaining single, at least until the crisis is over. And so Paul considers this, I think, good guideline, but he is not, please hear me, not making laying down some kind of Christian mandate, okay, that you have to stay single the, for the rest of your life. You could say that what Paul is doing here in a pastoral kind of way is giving some premarital counsel. <laughs> That's what he's doing. He is providing premarital counsel and suggesting that at the very least, a postponement of marriage until the crisis has gone by. And so we see, again, his heart. Paul, because Paul emphasized so strongly the value of staying single, the Corinthians might have begun to think that marriage itself was wrong. And even sinful. And I think because, again, of what we read here and what, how Paul is responding, there were probably already some in Corinth who were propagating that kind of thinking, that getting married was a bad deal and sinful. 
And Paul is making sure that he doesn't get his words twisted and misunderstood. Because of that possibility, he clarifies that marrying is not a sin. How many are you thankful for that? All the married couples say amen, right? (laughs) So it's not a sin. Marriage itself is good. In fact, earlier he said it was far preferable than living in a state of burning lust. Or what Johnny Cash referred to, remember falling into a burning ring of fire. (laughs) The goodness and the wholesomeness of marriage, however, doesn't change the fact that times of social and economic crisis brought on by a famine or persecution will indeed bring greater hardship for a married couple. So those choosing marriage, Paul in his premarital counseling is simply saying, if you're going to do that, go into it with eyes wide open to the troubles in this life that they would be facing. Paul did not mean that married life is always more difficult and harder than the single life. After all, God ordained husbands and wives to be partners together, enjoying life together, enjoying the blessing of each other together, not to be hindrances to one another. (laughs) Given the present crisis, Paul probably meant that marriage would make it harder to put food on the table during a tough time. This is especially understandable when you begin to realize that marriage leads to children, right? And children leads to more mouths to feed. Paul encouraged caution to those who were unmarried because, once again, he wanted to spare them these troubles. Concern number two that Paul addresses here is no that the time is short. Look at verses 29 through 31 with me. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Paul says time is short. Life is a vapor, James would echo in James 4.14. And now whether the Lord comes back for us today or tomorrow or we live out our entire full lives Time is undeniably rapidly coming to a close. Why? Because we are getting older. Simply, right? And Christ's return is getting nearer. With every breath, with every moment, with every day, his return getting nearer. So in light of this, Paul identifies some obstacles in his response here that could keep us from investing in the things of eternity and that which 
pertains to eternal matters versus getting caught up, overly caught up in the things of this world. Paul begins by reminding his readers that the age in which they live is a temporary arrangement. The time is short, he says, and this world in its present form is passing away. In other words, during the era between the first and second coming of Christ, people are living as if things will continue on as usual forever. But informed, mature followers of Christ happen to know better. At least we better know better, right? <laughs> because we have insight into God's plans for this world. We know that the current systems making up our world are temporary. Basically, what Paul is saying here is what he said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Can I say that again? Set your mind on things above, above not on earthly things. When we fully comprehend the temporary and tentative nature of our current age, wise, devoted followers of Christ seek to invest their lives in eternal matters. How important that is. Those with their time and energy wrapped up in family or leisure or possessions, tend to get drawn into the concerns of this world and can easily lose sight of spiritual priorities. So with a heavenly-minded worldview, believers, Paul says, may be engaged in, but not enslaved to. And he names some things as he's been talking about. Marriage, the mourning and the rejoicing and laughter and being happy. And so basically what he is saying with regards to this verse 29, it says, from now on those who have wives should live as if they do not. Is, is, is Paul suggesting that they get divorced and free themselves of that responsibility? Not at all. He is just simply saying, I realize that a married person has responsibility and there's focus there, but do not let that be your only focus. Is what he is saying. Don't let it be. Paul's encouragement to us is simply this. And you're going to say to yourself, oh, here we go again. <laughs> Get outside of yourself. Married people, it's not all about you. Instead, adopt an attitude and a lifestyle that it says loud and clear, we're engaged in something bigger than ourselves. It's called eternity. Seek first the kingdom and then watch everything else fall into place is what Jesus said. Matthew 6, 33. The second obstacle to keeping eternity's values in view 
is in the area of emotions. That's, when he's, that's what he's referring to when he talks about the mourning and the happy in the area of emotions. Now, can I just simply say this? The most widespread disease today is not COVID or Omicron or whatever they're going to be referring to next week. It is eye disease, not these eyes, this eye. <laughs> what we like to say in the band of brothers, because one of our brothers, I'm really not much, but I am all I think about. <laughs> that eye, that disease, people consumed over themselves. Paul's remedy to what he is saying here in Corinthians is found in Romans 12, 15. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. What's he saying to us? Hey, if you're mourning, I get that. But don't get stuck there. Don't be consumed by it. Hey, if things are going good in your life, cool. But don't get stuck there. In either case, mourning or happy, where you become so blinded because of your own selves, you miss the needs of others. Paul is saying, get out of yourself. Start recognizing that others might need you in their lives. And what gift and talents and, and whatever ministry and bringing the gifts of God to them that they might need. Get out of yourself. It's not about you. He says, don't be consumed by your own stuff. <laughs> In other words, get involved with others. And know how they're doing. Reach out to them. Care enough. Care. Simply care. And it's amazing what will happen. When even though you might be going through difficulties, when you get out of yourself and regardless of what might be happening in your own life and begin to reach out and, and consider and take notice of somebody else who might be hurting as well and you respond and you reach out and you minister and you bring some goodness and some hope, some peace and some comfort and all those kinds of things, you'll be amazed at what begins to happen in your own heart and in your own soul and in your own spirit. All of a sudden things aren't that bad. And it's, it's wonderful to be the hands and the feet of our Lord in the lives of someone else. The Lord will use you. Make yourself available. If you get over yourself and you'll see that you'll be set free. From what? From yourself. <laughs> As you get your eyes off of yourself. Finally, Paul names possessions as a third obstacle to seeing the big picture of the kingdom. Yes, we should be wise stewards, of course, but our possessions, and you've heard me say this before, should not preoccupy or possess us. In other words, Paul is saying, you know, don't lose your focus, married folks. Don't be over-consumed by your 
emotions and your circumstances. And here, with regards to possessions, do not be overly attached. It was Corey Tamboom, I like to say often, who has said, hold all things loosely. Don't be overly attached. Tithing is so important and giving so freeing because every time you give in an offering or some other tangible kind of way, you're giving away a part of your stinginess. Your short-sightedness, your self-centeredness, letting loose in all of that of unhealthy attachments. Concern number three is that Paul wants us to be without anxiety and stress. Look at verse 32. I, should, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Paul continues to emphasize what he's been saying. If you are married, you will inevitably find yourself caring for your spouse. And folks, please understand that this is a good thing. <laughs> he's not saying that's bad. This is how it should be, right? There's responsibility. Be responsible by all means. Care for, watch out, so on and so forth. But it will distract you nonetheless. Paul is still being up front here from the freedom that you would have enjoyed had you remained in a single state. Once again, please hear Paul's heart. What is most important to him is the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the advancing of the kingdom, right? We saw him earlier saying in this chapter, I wish that you all would be like me. In terms of him referring to his single state, because he saw that as giving him the freedom that he needed to travel like he did and minister in the way that he did. This is Paul's heart. He was basically, he said, man, I just wish there were more who could do what I'm doing, who would live like I'm living. What's he saying in that? I just wish there were more who would get over themselves and their self-centeredness and quit making it about them and their pleasure and their will and make it about God, his pleasure and his will. So he continues in that vein. The Lord through these scriptures isn't saying don't focus on your relationships. Forget about your emotions and forget about having possessions because I want you to be miserable. That's not what God is saying. I want you to be poor and homeless. No, quite the opposite, actually. What he is saying to the Apostle Paul to us, all I'm really wanting for you is your freedom. 
free within. Not bound up to all of these various things, but free. Free for what reason? To serve. To make a difference in this world for his kingdom. I just want you to be free. And the way to freedom is, as we've already been saying, is to forget about yourself. Seek first the kingdom of God. Time is short, folks. Be about the work of eternity. Make that your priority. Your focus with all the other things that we have involved and responsible to. Don't lose sight of that. Time is short. Be about the work of eternity. Maintain a walk with the Lord personally. Serve him however he leads you enthusiastically and joyfully. And you'll be blessed abundantly. It's like Paul is saying to them, to us, single people, you've got the best of both worlds. You're redeemed and you have undistracted opportunity to serve your God and King. And so do so undistractedly, wholeheartedly. He's saying to married people, hey, guys, you've got the best of both worlds, too. You're redeemed and you have your life partner. And now you're a team. Make sure that you're making serving Christ your focus and your priority. Look at verse 35 with me. He says, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. This isn't Paul being some kind of mean ogre brow-furled kind of guy with his bony fingers pointed at you. So I don't want you to be miserable. That's not him at all. He just happens to know through his own experience and his own life serving Jesus Christ, not taking for granted what Christ has done for us, accomplished for us on the cross. Paul knows he owes his very life to the one who gave his life for him. Do we live our lives in such a way? And so Paul says, man, I, I, I just want you to know what's good for you. I do I say this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you might live in a right way, in an, an undivided devotion to the Lord. Wow. Paul offers some strong motivation, wouldn't you say? For your own good. His concern is not that they remain unmarried, but that they remain undistracted. Married or not, undivided in their devotion and availability and service for Jesus Christ. There's a woman in Scripture who really models this beautifully for us. Her, her name is Anna. And we read about her real briefly in Luke chapter 2. It says, There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So if we are assuming that she was 20-something maybe when she got married, 
27, when she became a widow, she was a widow for a long time. And But listen to her life. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day. Fasting and praying. And then we read, coming up to them, the them here, if you're if you haven't turned there in your, in your Bible, if you're not familiar with the story, the them is Joseph and Mary, <laughs> okay? Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, the baby, whom were in the arms of Joseph and Mary, and spoke to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What do we see here? Anna doesn't panic over her single state. She didn't feel sorry for herself. Rather, she realized that she had been provided an opportunity to serve the Lord without distraction. And what happened? This is awesome. She was given special revelation. For she recognized that which only one other person in this time period at the birth of Christ, only one other person knew who that baby was. His name was Simeon. We read about him just prior to reading about Anna in Luke chapter 2. Only Simeon and Anna knew who the baby was in Mary and Joseph's arms. And what did she do? She went around telling others about who that baby was. Paul's encouragement for those who have been widowed, maybe even divorced, is to do what Anna did. Look for the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Walk with the Lord. Anna didn't hang out in the temple with God's people, folks, because she was miserable there in God's temple or because she was bored and didn't have anything else to do. Rather, I suggest she stayed there year after year after years because she found in the Lord exactly what her soul was ultimately craving for. And so will you. So will you. Verse 36, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who was under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then... He who marries the virgin does right, but he who marries, who does not marry, he does better. <laughs> Paul is speaking again pastorally. Remember, premarital counseling. Neither those who are married nor those who are unmarried sin. Neither group therefore, can claim spiritual superiority over the other. 
Paul is making sure he states that and that they get that in Corinth because that's how they would have twisted it. If someone believes that getting married is the right thing for them, Paul says, hey, that's acceptable. Go for it. On the other hand, Paul says that if someone is good with the single life in order to devote themselves to a life of ministry, well, that was a good thing too. Go for that. But when he says that the unmarried do better, (laughs) he is simply reemphasizing that this is not a matter of right or wrong. He is not saying the unmarried person choosing to be unmarried is more right and the person who chooses to get married is more wrong. That's not what he is saying. The consideration here is which is best enables the person. Where are they at? What's the best situation in terms of being able to give undistracted devotion to Jesus Christ, which he reiterates in the last two verses, verse 39 and 40. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone else she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. He must be a believer. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Now, in finishing this up, some people, I think, after having read chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, they come up with this idea somehow that Paul had a real, real serious problem with marriage. (laughs) But nothing could be further from the truth. That is That is not the case here. In fact, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, we find Paul actually elevating marriage to a pretty high and glorious place as he uses and writes there in Ephesians chapter 5 using an illustration for the relationship that Jesus has and that it exists with his bride, the church. Listen to what he writes in Ephesians chapter 5, a couple of verses, beginning at verse 26. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That don't sound like the words of someone who is down on marriage, do you think? To make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. The mutuality of sacrifice and submission between a husband and wife is a powerful, beautiful illustration that ought to be seen in the Christian marriage. Unbelievers don't need to see perfection in our marriage. It's just something remarkably different from what they see in society. And so... Whatever your situation in life might be, single or married, 
They are to be seen as gifts from God, church. And here's the deal about gifts that come to us from God. They were never, ever intended to just be yours and yours only. They are intended to be shared and used for his glory. Amen? That's the purpose for God's gifts. Used for him, used for others, used for his service, used for his glory. The most important life purpose for every Christian is to be faithful to Christ and his mission. When other life pursuits and desires take prominence, they definitely will blur that very purpose. The call for the follower of Christ is to focus on God's kingdom and trust God to take care of your needs. It's having an attitude that says, I will be devoted to you, Lord, with my whole heart for as long as I have breath. So whether single or married, widowed or divorced, Paul is telling us, be content wherever God has you. And whatever your position, make Jesus your passion. Let's stand and pray. Father, we come before you. And I think the word of God has once again, hopefully spoke to our hearts. Maybe even bringing conviction with the challenge of surveying our hearts with regards to how attached have we been to this world? How consumed have we been with ourselves? How overly focused have we possibly been with our circumstances, our stuff? Once again, God, I pray that you somehow would be allowed to break through into our lives, enabling us to get over ourselves, to get outside of ourselves and not be blinded to our own selves, but able to see the needs of others. And then at that point, not just see it, but actually respond and do something for that in your name, being your hands, your feet extended, doing our part in advancing the kingdom of God. May that be our priority, Lord, the purpose of serving Christ and your mission. May it be so. May you do surgery in our hearts. May we respond accordingly and faithfully to you, Lord. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up my
Oh, oh, oh.